Good morning, everybody. Uh, also wanted to give a shout out to those of you that are really uh, representing well festive Christmas clothing. I approve. Well done. Um, and yeah, w our two scripture readings for today are from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16, and then we're going to jump to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So this is Isaiah chapter 7. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my Lord also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he grows enough, when he knows enough to reject wrong and choose the right. Before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. How's everybody today? Good. Has everybody been playing games this month? Yeah? Well, we have one more game to Part of our, hmm? what, reindeer games? <laughs> okay. Um, how many of you like to build? A couple of you like to build? A snowman. A snowman. Okay. Building snowmen is fun, but that's not what I had in mind today. Today, I brought a very small version of a very big, messy game. Jenga. Anybody play this game? Yeah? Well, I am not good at this game. So I got the small version, because it's less pieces to pick up. <laughs> yeah? You have a big one? So. Yes, and you can build with them. So I think the idea is you, you put the, the blocks kind of crisscross, and then you stack them up as high as you can go. And then you have to push them out with one hand. Well, I stink at this, 
I always knock them down. And you make a house. You could do a lot of things with these. You could build them all different ways. But you have to try to push them out without touching anything else. You can only use the one hand. And I always make them fall. I don't know. Maybe some of you are better. That's why I don't like the big one. Yeah, that's right. You can do a lot of these things with this. Well, this kind of reminded me of our scripture today. How, you might say? Yeah. Well, Joseph, who was the scripture, our Matthew scripture today, um, was a carpenter. So I'm sure he did a lot of things with wooden blocks. Right? So I want to think about what Joseph might have been thinking in his life. So he met a beautiful girl named Mary. And he said, I'm going to marry her. And I'm going to build her a wonderful house. Maybe we'll have a family someday. Hmm. Well, maybe God has some other plans. You see, when Mary came and told him that she was pregnant, that wasn't a good thing. They hadn't been together. They weren't married yet. And here she's saying, well, it's not yours. It's God's. Yeah, like people are going to believe that. So his hopes and dreams that he'd been building here about this wonderful family that he was going to have and that he was going to raise, it just wasn't holding together. He's like, God, what are you doing? You're messing with my plan. I had it all figured out. We were going to have a wonderful life. And it was all going to be good. We were going to have kids. You didn't have to rush. Let's get us married and, and build a house first. But you know what? Our plans are never, ever as good as God's plans are. Because God has had a plan from the beginning. Oops, let me put this right here. God's plan was the perfect plan. He sent Jesus because he loved us so much. He was willing to send his son to die so that we could be forgiven. That's love. And that's a better plan than any of us could ever come up with. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you love us, even when we try to make our own plans and we think that we're smarter and better than you. We thank you that you had a plan for us from day one and that you continue to fulfill that plan for us through Jesus. So we give you thanks today for the way that you guide us in our lives and for the way that you have made for us to be reunited with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, help us to rejoice and to long for your coming, to look for you in the already and wait for you in the not yet. In your name, amen. Are we there yet? 
<laughs> where, where is there exactly? <laughs> We're not quite at Christmas yet. We're not at the second coming yet. Um, what, what kind of situations are they when, when you hear this question? Are we there yet? <laughs> Road trips. <laughs> Ray. Oh, Ray, you're laughing. Ray's a driving instructor. Um, so I feel like everybody has something wrong with their family. Um, and so a lot of us don't have super great childhood memories. I have things wrong with my family too, just like everybody. But fortunately for me, I feel like I didn't do anything to deserve this, but my memories of Christmas as a kid are pretty ideal. I, if there were family dynamics problems going on, I was not aware of them. And my favorite memories of Christmas were when we would, my dad was a pastor in Charlton, and so we ha had a Christmas Eve service at our church, but we would drive down to Barrington, Rhode Island immediately after the service. It was dark, it was already past our bedtime, and we would get to Barrington where my mom's parents lived, and my uncles would be there with their wives, and um, my brother and I were the only kids for a really long time in the family, and so we'd get to stay up until like midnight or something crazy like that, and the candles, my grandmother always decorated the house, and it was beautiful, and it was warm, and kind of dim because it was mostly only candles, and they had a fire in their fireplace, and this pretty Christmas tree, and, and everything, and it, there's, it's really not that long of a drive from Charlton to Barrington, but a kid and you're excited about this Christmas time that you're going to have with your family. And, and so, are we there yet? Who's more annoyed in these situations? <laughs> the parents or the kids? <laughs> Both for different reasons, right? What are we longing for when we are in this situation? Something good. What are the parents longing for? Quiet. <laughs> Probably quiet. <laughs> what are the kids longing for? Presence, excitement, yeah. Um, if your family's a safe place for you, the extended family, maybe cookies, special cookies. The parents want an end to the whining. All of that sounds heavenly, right? <laughs> so, Here's a question for you. Is there love in the car ride? I think yes. At least in an ideal situation, in a, in a scenario where you are in a family that, broken as you might be, loves each other and you're heading somewhere good, I think there is love in that car ride. So, as you know, we're going through the Revised Common Lectionary Scripture passages for a whole year. We're going to see what God uncovers for us in this process. And in this season, it's Advent, and we're heading up to Christmas. And so there are some set themes for the weeks of Advent, the four weeks of Advent leading up to Christmas. But here's the problem. Different church traditions put different themes on the different Sundays. And so the first Sunday of Advent, our theme was hope, and 
most churches' themes are hope, and all the passages seem to make sense with hope and, and peace. All those passages with the animal, the lion lying down with the lamb, all that stuff made sense with peace. And the joy passages, you know, where the desert's bursting into bloom and all that stuff, all that makes sense with joy. But then I read today's or this week's passages, and I was like, our focus this week is love. And these are kind of weird. <laughs> they, don't, they don't talk overtly about love. They don't talk specifically about love. But I did end up realizing that love was in there. And Ron also realized this because he posted in our Facebook Bible Reading Challenge group. By the way, anybody can post in there if you're in there. And if you want to be in there, let me know. Um, so if any of you are in the Bible Reading Challenge, challenge and you read the passages for this week, besides Ron, did you find love in these passages? No? True. Okay, so the whole Bible is a book of love, but it didn't make any specific reference to love. Okay. Yes. If your kids let each other live on the ride, that's a sign of love. If you're the parent and you're driving the car to this destination and your kids are being super annoying and they're fighting with each other and you're dealing with all this drama in the back of the car and you still bring them there, that's a sign of love. Or maybe it might be a sign of love if you turn around and go back, I suppose, depending on the situation. don't know. Um, but I did feel like the passages this week were kind of... they express love in the way that a car ride to a happily awaited destination where the ride just feels way too long, it's that kind of love. It's not like this warm clouds, fuzzy and whatever, whatever, um, that we kind of think of love on Valentine cards or, or that kind of thing. It's not frilly and lacy or or any of these versions of love, it's the kind of love that is in it for the long haul that will put up with what it has to put up with, with grace, because you love these people. Even the little kids in the car, there is some love there, if they don't kill each other, and, <laughs> um, and because they've put, they have allowed themselves, they maybe don't have a ton of choice, but they've allowed themselves to be in this situation because they're trusting their parents to bring them to the good place that they're headed towards. The reason they're asking, are we there yet, is because they know they're going somewhere. They want to be there. They're, they know their parents are bringing them there. They trust. There's love in that. In fact, I would say that if there isn't trust, there isn't love. And the kind of love that the passages today show us is the kind of love that's built on trust, or at least that is inviting that kind of love. So, as we've been saying this whole season of Advent, there are things, spiritual things, and lived out things in this world, in the here and now, that are already true, but, like we said, especially last week, the not yet the fulfillment of all of those things, the fulfillment of the promise and potential of those things that has been put in place by Jesus when he came the first time in Bethlehem, 
The not yet is still not yet. And so sometimes things like hope and peace and joy and love don't feel in the here and now the way they will feel when they are perfectly fulfilled. But hope and joy and peace and love are hope and joy and peace are a little different than love in this whole now and not yet scenario. If you have hope in something that has not yet happened, when it happens, you don't need hope anymore, right? Because it's happening. So hope fulfilled means hope goes away. Peace fulfilled means you don't have to work for peace anymore. Peace is established. So there is peace. Peace doesn't go away. But the process of making peace, which is what we have to do in our here and now lives, is sometimes not very peaceful. It's hard work to make peace. And so when peace is finally fulfilled, when Jesus comes back, it's going to feel entirely different than it does right now. And the whole process of it is going to be different. And joy, we talked last week about joy as being this kind of longing for something beyond. In this life, we don't get, we, we can have joy in this sort of settled contentment or in this, um, these bursts of like, yes, that's how it's supposed to be. But fulfilled joy, I think, is going to be more of an elevated happiness and gladness Whereas here, it's really kind of connected to this idea that C.S. Lewis had about longing. In fact, last week after I preached the sermon, I learned that the, I don't know where the word joy really comes from, probably Latin, um, but something in the definition, in the original definition, means leaning towards. So in our not yet existence, joy means we're, we haven't actually achieved what we're going to be joyful about but we're leaning towards it. We're longing for it. So I guess C.S. Lewis must have been right, even though it doesn't still totally make sense to me. Anyway, but love is different because love is fulfilled almost in the hard places, in the nitty-gritty of life, in the places where you need patience, in the places where you're not sure how things are going to turn out and you have to trust somebody. Love is already here by God's Spirit in our lives. And the more we trust God and push through those different difficult places, the more love we have, the more of God's love we are able to experience and receive, it is supposed to be different now in the, from the not yet. The difference is a good thing. The temporary nature of how we now experience hope and peace and joy, if we stick with those things, if we keep hoping, if we keep making peace, if we keep longing for joy, those will be fulfilled. And while we're doing that, love will grow. So I believe there's, we're going to experience love differently when Jesus comes back too, but we have love now in a way that we don't have those other three things. Because all of this, the not yet stuff that we wrestle with builds trust. If we let it, and trust is the key foundation to long-term love. So today we have two stories, and they have an overlapping verse, and they're both kind of strange story. 
stories, although one of them, I bet, we're all more familiar with than the other one. Both stories show us a God who loves his people enough to invite them into this kind of long haul, trusting, in the end, fulfilled love relationship with God. The first story is about this king named Ahaz and the prophet Isaiah. This, happens, this story happens before the Israelites go into exile, so we know we've talked about this before. God's people were the, the country of Israel, and they split in two after Solomon, and there was Ephraim, which typically gets called Israel still, and then Judah. And Judah was the t- tribe, or the, yeah, Judah was one of the tribes of Israel that became its own nation, and King David was from that tribe, and so all the kings after that in that tribe, in that nation, um, were from the line of David. So Ahaz was also from the line of David. But not all the kings in the line of David were good, godly kings. Ahaz was not one of those good kings. He was in a political situation. He became king at age 20, and um, almost instantly he was in this political situation where the king of Israel and the king of Syria had teamed up, and they were going to try to attack him, and he was afraid of them. And so, I don't know why he went to Isaiah, or maybe Isaiah came to him, and Isaiah says, God wants you to ask him for a sign. God wanted, to, wanted Ahaz to say, uh, God, I want you to do this crazy thing, and if you do that, then I'll know that I can trust you, even though I'm afraid of these of the kings of Israel and Syria. But Ahaz does not do this. He does what many of us would do. He says, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Is he right? Okay. It is, it's confusing until you think about relationships. So here's, and it helps to know the context, which maybe you don't, but um, he's, so Isaiah says, ask God for a sign, and he says, I will not put the Lord to the test. How does God respond? He's not happy. He's annoyed. Exactly. Right. He says, oh my word, you are trying the patience of humans and now you're going to try God's patience too? Come on. Ugh. Like, (laughs) I asked you to ask me for a sign. So, yes, God told Ahaz to ask for a sign and Ahaz does not do this. But you're right. Ahaz evidently knows the God of his people well enough to know that God has said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. This is in the Bible. It's also something that Jesus quotes to Satan when he's being tempted in the wilderness. So this isn't just something that comes out of nowhere. But Ahaz does not know God well enough to understand how to relate to a God who wants a relationship with him, not just a religious transaction. 
a difference between asking God in faith for a sign out of your relationship, out of faith and trust are the same thing, by the way, essentially. So if you are in a relationship with God and you are maybe wrestling with God for something and you're struggling with this and you say, God, please just give me a sign about this thing that I'm worried about and you are trusting God for this, that is different than, well, I don't really believe you can do this, but if you do such and such crazy thing that's totally impossible, well then I'll believe. Do you get what I'm saying? What's the difference, do you think? Relationship. What's that? Well, okay, already not believing. Relationship, which are kind of two sides of the same thing. I would say the difference is love. In one of them, there's enough trust that there's at least a seed of love. And in the other one, there is no love. You're just kind of holding out on God. You are literally putting God to the test. Ironically, Ahaz, who sounds so righteous here, oh no, not me, I couldn't put God to the test, spent his entire life putting God to the test. He did not follow God, he did not know God, he worshipped idols, he led the people of God to worship idols, he sacrificed his son on an altar. So, I would say, what's that? Was it after a road trip? <laughs> well, hmm. <laughs> good question. I don't know. <laughs> However, I would say that his little pious self-righteous assertion that he would not put God to the test was completely, either he was lying or he just was completely unself-reflected and didn't know himself or God at all. He trusts God so little he knows God so little, and why would he know God if he's worshiping all these other idols, that he is assuming that God is testing him here. He doesn't know God, so he doesn't know that God might actually invite him into a relationship and say, hey, I want to show you something. Ask me for it. No, no. I, you are telling me to ask you for, for a sign so that I'll put you to the test, and then I will have done something bad when I've already done a bazillion bad things. God isn't testing him. God is asking Ahaz to trust him. This is how much God wanted Ahaz to trust him and how much he loved him. He wanted to give Ahaz this sign so much, he hoped that Ahaz would ask for it, but no. Well, fine, says God. I'll give you the sign anyway. Here's the sign in verses 14 and 16 of Isaiah 7. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The sign is this young woman is going to bear a child. The promise is that by the time that child has reached a certain age, the two kings that Ahaz is afraid of will be wiped out. 
Okay. This is a sign for Ahaz. This is God pursuing a relationship of trust and love with this son of David, Ahaz, who does not trust or love God. What the prophecy means for Ahaz, let's not look ahead to Christmas or any of that stuff. This is centuries before that. If this were only about Jesus, this would not be a good sign. Because <laughs> this virgin bears a child and has, and like hundreds and hundreds of years later, Ahaz is already dead. He's been dead for a really long time. This would make no sense for Isaiah to tell him this. So, this prophecy and this sign, something has to happen in Ahaz's time for this to make sense for Ahaz. The young woman in this passage, in this time period that Ahaz is receiving this, is probably Isaiah's wife, who is not a virgin. She's Isaiah's wife. The word in Hebrew for this young woman is young woman. It could be a virgin. Most likely, it would be a virgin if the person was unmarried in this time period, in this culture. So what we're, what we're talking about, if you read the passages around it, for Ahaz, this means Isaiah's wife is about to have a son, and by the time this son is weaned, Israel and Syria will be defeated, and Ahaz won't have to worry about them anymore. This is all Ahaz needs to know. Ultimately, even still, this isn't even that big of a sign, right? Some young woman is going to have a baby, big deal, but this baby is somehow this, this pinpoint from which we can make this promise. Ultimately, Ahaz, this happens, but Ahaz rejects God's love in this sign. Isaiah's wife has the son. The first stage in that prophecy is fulfilled, but even after all of that, Ahaz doesn't trust God and turns to another nation for help instead of God. And so ultimately, not immediately, Ahaz is gone by the time this happens, but ultimately exile happens. The whole people of God are removed, or most of the people of God, are removed from their land and dispersed among the nations. So, are we there yet? Nope. Um, whose fault is that in this case? <laughs> Maybe Ahaz's and a lot of other people's. But so then we have this compared with the story of Joseph. Ahaz is a picture of mistrust, lack of trust, no love, no relationship. Joseph's is the opposite. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Probably no, most of us realize that in this time period and in this Jewish culture in um, the Roman Empire, when people got betrothed, engaged, it was a very formal ceremony, it was very official, and it was almost like you were married. You weren't fully married, but almost like you were married, and so Joseph and Mary were betrothed. They were so legally um, bound together that if they were going to break up, they actually would have to go through a divorce process. So they weren't having marital relations yet, but they 
were betrothed, they belonged to each other, and so it was going to be some work to separate that. And so obviously the natural conclusions for Joseph when he finds out that his betrothed is pregnant, she says, I am going to bear a child by the Holy Spirit. Um, excuse me? <laughs> Here's a few things Joseph could have thought, or maybe all of them at various times. Mary cheated on him. Or she had a mental break. Or she had suddenly become irreverent to the point of blasphemy. Or all three of those things. Probably based on her personality, she was not an irreverent person and not normally a blasphemous person. And so for anybody to, for her to say this, like something crazy must have happened to her. Like maybe she had some kind of, she was abused and she's having some kind of trauma response or something. Even if Joseph somehow, against all odds, believed her story that she had been faithful to him and somehow become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, that also might be a reason why he would think he needed to divorce her. If you're a guy and your wife suddenly has a kid and you or your, your fiancé suddenly has a kid or gets pregnant and you have not ever been with her in that way and you know that she's a faithful person and she's not going to cheat on you, and it turns out that somehow God has made her pregnant, how would you feel about going through the marriage? Is that weird? I feel like it I mean, I'm not a guy, but to me, I feel like that might be a little weird. What's that? Yeah, it's kind of frightening. Yes. Right. If she's telling the truth, she is special to God in a way that I'm not sure I've heard of anybody else <laughs> being special to God in that way. So, where is love in Joseph's response, in his immediate response? Right. He wants to do everything in private. He doesn't want to shame her. Also, He's trying to respect God, I suspect, because if this drama gets out in the open, whether people believe her or not, God's name's somehow going to get dragged into it, right? So I kind of wonder if, and, and if he really believes that she's been made pregnant by the Holy Spirit, she's special. Can I get close to her? I don't know. What, where does that leave me? I feel like maybe this is Joseph's way of saying, I will not put God to the test. Right? But he's not saying it in a pious, self-righteous, look at me, I, I am not going to put God to the test. He's humble. I don't want to shame Mary. I don't want to dishonor God. I won't put God to the test. So how does the angel encourage him to love instead? Don't be afraid. Right. Fear is the opposite of love. The Apostle John tells us that in 1 John, but I think if we think about it, we can, we can realize that. And fear also is the opposite of trust. 
the angel invites, God through the angel, invites Joseph to love Mary and God through the mess, through the complications, through the misunderstandings that he's probably going to have to deal with his entire life. And trust. Trust God. Trust Mary. God is inviting relationship again with the same sign that he used for Ahaz. It's the same one. Ahaz says, oh, I won't ask God for a sign. Joseph says, oh, I won't marry the woman carrying God's child. God moves closer to both of them and says, but this is what I want for you because I love you. God showed his love to Ahaz by giving Ahaz a sign, even though Ahaz was too religious to ask for it. Ahaz was super religious, not with the right God. The sign was not the announcement of the birth of the child. The sign was the birth of the child, which signaled the defeat of the enemies that Ahaz was afraid of. Ahaz was given the sign that he was too pious to ask for, but he didn't receive the love that went with it, and so he rejected what the sign meant, God's deliverance from his enemies. He chose to do this himself, to manage it himself. In fact, he threw God's love back into God's face. There's a church called Westside Church in California, apparently. I just found this this morning. that says, Ahaz gave in to his fears and turned to a foreign nation for help. To make it even worse, Ahaz plundered gold and silver out of the temple of the Lord and used it to buy off a foreign army for protection. What a dramatic, heart-wrenching display of spiritual unfaithfulness. God keeps trying, though. He showed his love for Joseph, for Mary, for the whole world, by offering relationship again with the same sign, even more dramatically given. This time... And Matthew uses the word for virgin because that is actually what happened here. Mary was a virgin when, she, when Jesus was conceived in her. God gives this sign so dramatically, he puts himself into the family. The virgin had already conceived, and one way or another, she was going to bear that son. God was determined to give Joseph this sign, whether he asked for it or not, just like he was determined to give Ahaz a sign, whether Ahaz asked for it or not. But unlike Ahaz, Joseph, who was also a son of David, even if not a king, trusted. He was not too pious, he was not too religious, he was not too full of himself or of superstition to accept the invitation of God. He trusted the love of God and chose to love God back by loving Mary enough to take her into his home, even though it appeared scandalous. So here's a question for all of us. Are we too pious? Are we too religious? The sign has already been given. This sign that God gave to Ahaz and then more fully to Joseph, God also gives to us. And we're going to celebrate that sign this week and we're going to celebrate that God entered in person the family of Joseph and Mary on Sunday next week. But the fulfillment of the sign 
the sign has already happened. It's already been given, but the fulfillment of it is still to play out in us. Every single one of us, individually and as a church and as a nation and however you want to group yourself as a family, every single one of us has the choice <coughs> to receive this sign and love the God who sent it, who loves us, or not. Love is built on trust for the long haul, and God has already given us the sign of his love. Are we too pious? Are we too religious, too frightened, too in the box, or frankly just too in love with our own way of doing things to actually accept the sign? We can celebrate it and still not accept it. Whether you asked for the sign or not, God has given you a sign. Next time you think, if God would only give me a sign, remember, he gave you one. A virgin conceived and bore a son, and it was God. He was born to be God with us. Will you accept the sign? And then, will you let him be with you? Will you trust him enough to stop relying on the foreign armies that you've enlisted to get you through the, in the past, politics or your heritage or addictions or relationships or time or money or your own goodness? <coughs> Will you trust him enough to rely on him instead, even when it seems crazy, even when he invites you to enter more deeply with him into the mess of the not yet fulfilled world? Will you trust him enough even when he invites you to bring God with you into the pain and confusion of a world that is still waiting for Jesus to come back? Will you be a frightened Ahaz? Or will you be a Joseph who trusts enough to love God and the people around you? Are we there yet? Maybe not quite yet, but we're getting there. We're on the road with a God who already loves us, is already with us, already gave us the sign we need to move forward with him. I am going to pray a prayer, and these are the, we're, we're Baptists, and we don't get demonstrative. Um, but I would like you to listen to this prayer, and if you agree with it for yourself, please stand up. That is just a small expression of trust to do something crazy. And this could be you if you've never committed your life to Jesus before, or if you have committed your whole life to Jesus before, but you want to um, recommit or refocus and um, you're trusting God again or more to help you love the way he loves and to help you love him. Just stand and then I'll, I'll pray this prayer and then I'll pray for all of us um, to close it up. Lord God, I'm not totally sure what it feels like to love you and I am kind of afraid to trust you, but today I commit myself or I recommit myself 
to you. I want to try to trust you, but I need your help even for that. Thank you for the sign you gave me when I didn't even ask. The virgin did conceive and did give birth to a son who was you, God with us, who was named Jesus because he saved me from my sins. I trust you for that. Please be with me and help me to know you are with me. Give me the trust and the strength to stay with you and discover more and more what it means to love and be loved by you so that I can share the love you already gave with the people around me until you return. Today I'm yours, Lord. Help me to love you every day. Thank you for loving me in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you for the people in this room, for giving your life to us, to them, and for asking us to give our lives to you. It's not a transaction. It's a relationship. We want to follow you where you lead. We want to accept your sign into our lives. We want God with us to be really with us, to express you to the world with more and more grace and truth. Thank you for what you've done for us and what you are doing and what you will do. In your name, amen.